Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job, and I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call. It's johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion of the question, has the modern Supreme Court subverted the Constitution with some of its decisions? We'll be talking about uh, the civil asset forfeiture and eminent domain abuse. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of several books. His latest, of course, is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. It's a terrific read. It is May the 13th, and on this day in 1846, U.S. Congress overwhelmingly voted in favor of President uh, James K. Polk's request to declare Mexico uh, war against Mexico in a dispute over Texas. Under the threat of war, the United States had refrained from annexing Texas after the latter won independence from Mexico in 1836. But in 1844, President John Tyler reverted negotiations with the Republic of Texas, culminating with a treaty of annexation. The treaty was defeated by a wide margin in the Senate because it would upset the slave state, free state balance between North and South and risk war with Mexico, which had broken off relations with the United States. But shortly before leaving office and with the support of President-elect Polk, Tyler managed to get the uh, joint resolution passed on March the 1st, 1845. Texas was admitted into the Union on December the 29th of that year. While Mexico did follow through with its threat to declare war, relations between the two com- countries remained tense over border disputes, and in July 1845, President Polk ordered troops in a, into the disputed lands that lay between the Nunces and the Rio Grande Rivers, in November, Polk uh, sent a diplomat, John Slidell, to Mexico to seek boundary adjustments in the return for U- U.S. government settlement of the claims of the U.S. citizens against Mexico and also to make an offer to purchase California New Mexico. After the mission failed, the U.S. Army, under General Zachary Taylor, uh, advanced into the mouth of the Rio Grande, the river in the state of Texas, claimed it as its southern territory. Mexico, claiming that the boundary was nor- north of that, uh, Northeast of the Rio Grande considered the advance of Taylor's army an act of aggression and in 1846 sent troops across the Rio Grande. Polk, in return, declared that Mexico's advance was an invasion of U.S. soil and on May the 11th, 1846, asked Congress to declare war on Mexico, which it did two days later. After nearly two years of fighting, peace was established by the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Signed on February the 2nd, 1848, the Rio Grande was made the southern boundary of Texas, and California and New Mexico were ceded to the United States. In return, the United States paid Mexico a grand sum of $15 million and agreed to settle all claims of U.S. citizens against Mexico. Isn't that interesting? $15 million. That was part of a side agreement, California and New Mexico becoming part of the United States. By the way, James K. Polk was a pretty popular president uh, although he didn't run for a second term, as I recall my American history, he didn't because he had a ha- bad case of hemorrhoids. That's the rest of the story. Anyhow, uh, we now have 77 new cases of uh, COVID-19 in Collier County. There are on Monday, four new deaths. Collier death toll has amounted to 32. 139 people in Collier County hospitals, but uh, some of them have been released. What I noticed in the statistics, uh, there's been a big spike in Immokalee. Last week, there were about 43 deaths, now 158 uh, 43 cases, I should say, now 158 cases. That seems to be where the, uh, if there is a breakout, that appears to be where it is. Well, the good old days are back, at least part of them. Collier County Fairgrounds will uh, show... Drive-in movies this weekend, starting with the superhero f- film Avengers Endgame. 
All three nights are sold out, but more are planned. That's kind of exciting, right? When's the last time you've been to a drive-in movie? Well, anyhow, the cost is $20 a vehicle with a limit of 200 vehicles per night. The movie's show will start at sunset around 8.15. So if you're interested in purchasing tickets, you can go to callyourfair.com, callyourfair.com, and just click on Ticket Sales. And you'll be able to get tickets if they are available. Last, I remember the last drive-in movie that Lynn and I saw, 1975. It was Jaws. I think the uh, drive-in movie uh, closed shortly after that. Well, officials in Los Angeles County, California, in their wisdom, said they're likely to extend the stay-at-home orders until the end of July. During a Board of Supervisors meeting on Tuesday, Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer said she expects the county to continue its shutdown measures unless dramatic change in virus and tools are at hand. Now, mind you, Los Angeles is a county of uh, 10 million people, and they've got something like uh, 1,500 deaths. Unbelievable they take this action. But nevertheless, that's what they're doing, and we can only be grateful that we're here in Florida under the wisdom and the deft leadership of our governor, uh, Ron DeSantis. Deborah Burks, she, of course, the White House Correspondent's Coro- Corova- Coronavirus Task Force Response uh, Coordinator, believes some official COVID-19 statistics, like death tolls, may be inflated by up to 25%, a new report states. Isn't that interesting? Certainly, uh, all the evidence I'm seeing, and or, or suspicious of, I just, I'm like seeing the evidence, but what I see is uh, or here are reports that people are asked to put on COVID-19 when there's any question about the reason for death. Anyhow, Burks criticized the method of Centers for Disease Control and Prevention was using to collect its data during a heated task force meeting, according to a report Saturday from the Washington Post. There's nothing from the CDC that I can trust, Burks reportedly said to Robert Redfield. Of course, he's the director of CDC. He told the Post in a statement that mortality is slowly declining each day and the focus should be on protecting Americans who are older or have pre-existing health conditions that make them vulnerable to the virus. To keep this with this trend, it's essential that seniors and those with comorbidities shelter in place and that we continue to protect vulnerable communities, she said. I totally agree with her. Two-thirds of Americans also doubt official coronavirus numbers, that according to an Axios poll. Uh, the poll found that 40% of Republicans believe the numbers of deaths are being overcounted compared to 24% who believe they are being undercounted. On the other side of the aisle, 7% of Democrats believe the numbers of deaths are being overcounted compared to 63% who believe they're being undercounted. Political issue, huh? Concerns over the way death tolls are being counted emerged after New York added 4,000 people who had never tested positive to the official uh, count overnight. Uh, the CDC later confirmed that they were including probable cases, and that's what's going on right now. Don't know the cause of death, just put down COVID-19. Now, the reason for that, uh, why that's being recommended is apparently uh, when someone dies, Medicare pays $13,000, and uh, when they die of COVID-19, it's triple that, $39,000. Hmm. Follow the money. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci, of course, the face of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, warned in testimony yesterday that uh, reopening the economy for certain checkpoints set up in Trump's administration's coronavirus recovery plan are met could bring serious consequences. So they went on, the Democrats are trying to ask setup questions to get, number one, divide the president from uh, Anthony Fauci and trying to demonstrate there's some sort of fallout between the two. That didn't happen, but they're asking questions like, well, if uh, we open too soon, is it possible that more people will die? You know, those types of questions. I was so proud of uh, Senator Rand Paul. He's a medical doctor, of course, ophthalmologist and coronavirus survivor. He's even volunteered in a hospital uh, after the pandemic, after he uh, recovered. Suffice it to say, the libertarian-leading Kentucky Republican knows a thing or two about the coronavirus. That didn't stop people from melting down Tuesday after Paul questioned Fauci during the Senate testimony of reopening schools. He said, shouldn't we at least be discussing what the mortality of children is, he asked. 
of course, uh, the mortality is quite low. I hope the people who are predicting doom and gloom and saying, oh, we can't do this, there's going to be a surge, will admit that they were wrong if there isn't a surge, because I think that's what's going to happen, the senator continued. I think this one-size-fits-all that we're going to have to a national strategy and nobody's going to go into school is kind of ridiculous. We ought to be doing it uh, in school district by school district, said uh, Rand Paul. As much as I respect you, Dr. Fauci, I don't think you're the end all. I don't think you're the one person who should be making a decision, he concluded. But if we keep kids out of school for another year, what's going to happen is that poor and underprivileged kids are not going to learn from a full year. Fauci, to his credit, responded to Paul's concerns and questions rationally and respectfully, but the media critics and the left-wing commentators savaged the senator for even daring to ask such a question. Agree with Paul or not, the argument he's putting forward is an eminently reasonable one, and it's the way I think we should be conducting debate in the Senate and in these committees as opposed to triggering some sort of vitriolic response from the left and from others. Uh, this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit Johnson's Air Conditioning. Dot com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community, thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Gulf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you'll check out the website. I proudly serve on their board. It's called it's thefga.org. Doing great things to create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And, of course, that's after this pandemic thing is over. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar and chairman of a terrific organization it's called the Cato Institute. Bob, Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. 
We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., free markets, private property, securing individual rights and limited government, C-A-T-O.org, O-R-G, on the web. Very robust website, Cato.org. So, Bob, for the last several weeks, we've been uh, raising the question about whether recent, uh, since the New Deal, uh, cases, Supreme Court cases, have helped to subvert the Constitution. I want to pick up with civil asset forfeiture. State and local government agencies are typically underfunded, and that's why police are allowed to keep proceeds when assets related to drug busts and other crimes are sold or auctioned, even when the owner isn't even aware of the crime. So what's the constitutional basis for seizing assets without due process? A pretty strange case. Uh, about uh, 25 years ago, um, Mrs. Bennis owned a car. Her husband takes the car without her knowledge or consent and has sex with a prostitute in the car. And the police arrest the husband and they arrest the prostitute and they arrest the car. <laughs> and when Mrs. Bennis sued to get her car back, uh, the court says that the criminal offense extends to the car itself, uh, which the government can seize. And she could not recover the, either the car or the car's value notwithstanding that she had no knowledge of this, would have objected to it if she did have knowledge, and the car belonged to her. So she was an innocent owner by any uh, definition of that term. Holy mackerel. I mean, well, of course you hear about these cigarette boats and all kinds of boats that are being seized because of uh, they're stolen, first of all, used in a drug operation, and the government seizes them. So it just seems so abhorrent. Aren't some forms of asset seizure justified? Yes, uh, contraband, uh, you know, like a stolen boat or a counterfeit plates for making money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's justified to seize that. It's justified to seize what's called ill-gotten gains. So if I have drugs and I sell the drugs to you and you give me $1,000, certainly the seizure of the $1,000 is permissible. But Venice's car is, it comes under what's called the facilitation doctrine, and that is anything that facilitates the commission of the crime, supposedly the car, facilitated the liaison between Venice's husband and this uh, prostitute. So since that case, again, about a quarter of a century ago, the federal rules have been tightened, and the states now have an innocent owner defense. Namely, if you didn't know about it and, and you didn't participate in lending your asset for this purpose and you didn't consent to it, then you have a chance of getting your asset back. But the states still place the burden on the owner of the asset to prove that <clears throat> the owner is totally innocent. So this is uh, not the way it usually works in the law. Usually the burden is on the government, yeah. uh, but not under civil asset forfeiture. So it's one more regrettable byproduct of the drug war. Uh, government uses these, the proceeds of these uh, unconstitutional expropriations to fund uh, law enforcement agencies. Do I recall a case where uh, a guy was doing a cash business, and it was typically a good, let's call it an honest cash business, because he was depositing monies that neared $10,000 at a time, that they, didn't the feds come in and seize <laughs> his money uh, as, a, as a consequence? They did indeed. You know, there's a, there's a law that says if you deposit over 10000 there has to be certain reporting that takes place. So the feds argued that by depositing slightly under 10000 frequently, that this fellow was simply trying to avoid the law. Yeah. And they deemed that to be uh, a circumvention that was impermissible, and so the feds seized the assets. So this is the kind of abuse that occurs uh, with civil asset forfeiture. There's yeah. no question that police departments in some places are underfunded and they need more resources. But the answer, of course, is to provide them with resources uh, through the usual government appropriation process, yeah. not to seize assets from people who are totally innocent and use the sale, the proceeds from the sale of those assets uh, to fund law enforcement activities. Going back to the previous case, the Bennis case, where the uh, his the car was seized, I just can't. I I continue to wonder about what the heck happened to him and his marriage. <laughs> it couldn't have ended well. <laughs> so let's. Well, let, yeah, I, I haven't followed that part of the case, <laughs> but I suspect that they uh, 
Yeah, they weren't uh, <laughs> liaising <laughs> they much, did, much did, longer. Didn't end well. <laughs> so let's turn to eminent domain and federal and state governments. Uh, Often condemn private property under eminent domain, supposedly for public use. That's expressly authorized in the Bill of Rights, specifically the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. But we've seen some states and localities take property from a private only owner only to turn it over to a private uh, party. So where does the authority come from? Well, this was the infamous Kelo case back in 2005. So, you know, Mrs. Kilo had this cherished home in which she lived for a lot of years, and along comes a private developer who promises the city uh, more jobs and higher taxes if the city will just condemn uh, her property and, and the other property in her area and seize that property under the power of eminent domain and then turn it over to this developer. And he said, well, we'll get a, um, we'll get a uh, Pfizer pharmaceuticals plant built and some commercial office buildings and some hotels, and so Kilo lost her home because this developer convinced the city that he knew how to use the property better than uh, than she did. Now, she wasn't wild about the idea, so she pointed to the takings clause in the Fifth Amendment that you mentioned, and there it says that private property can be seized, but only for public use. And when you think about public use, I mean, usually that means things like roads, or military bases, or government buildings, certainly not a Pfizer pharmaceutical plant, or an adjacent hotel, or apartment building, or commercial office space. So that was the infamous Kilo taste in 2005. Yeah, and I guess the city council, the city fathers, were saying, you know what, we don't get many much tax revenue from her, but this uh, Pfizer plant, boy, that's going to create a, a lot of uh, revenue. So what did the Supreme Court have to say about all this? Uh, the liberals, joined by Justice Kennedy, uh, decided that the Constitution didn't really mean public use, hmm. uh, that it meant public purpose, a public benefit, and that this kind of economic development met that taste, uh, test. Of course, if you, you, know, you sell residential pro- property and you turn it into industrial commercial property, you're always going to increase the tax base and employ more people. But uh, you know, if that's the standard then nobody's home is safe yeah. uh, from the government uh, bulldozer because it's always possible to conceive of development generating more taxes and jobs uh, than private homes would. Yeah, so what happened in the aftermath of the Kelo case? Well, fortunately, as an epilogue, uh, the Institute for Justice litigated uh, that case, and uh, they lost in the Supreme Court because of this outrageous decision. But the Kelo case generated more public outrage than I think any case since uh, Roe v. Wade. And as a result, um, about 43 states now have now passed legislation to one degree or another has uh, trumped the Kelo case and reined in the use of eminent domain for private uh, development. And I think that uh, there's two lessons there. First, there's more than one way to win a case. So even if you lose in court, you can take your case to the court of public opinion mm-hmm. and try for, uh, for legislation. Uh, and that worked in this case. And second... It's interesting that the states can always grant greater protection for individual rights than the feds. So the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, sets a floor. The states can't go below that, but they can always go above that, and then that's what they've done in 43 states. They can't override federal law, but they can establish state law that under state uh, events and state takings of property, state law would apply. And I think the other interesting fact is that the even though uh, she lost her home and um, Suzette Kilo's home was relocated, uh, the Pfizer plant never happened, and neither did the hotel nor the apartment buildings. And, uh, in fact, Pfizer actually closed a nearby facility. And the tract of land where Mrs. Kilo lived and her neighbors lived is now vacant. So much for economic uh, development. Uh, indeed, Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I just genuinely appreciate this discussion about, you know, this is really helps us understand why the government is so large not right now and why there's so much government intervention in our lives. It's, it's been a kind of a slow process, but these discussions really help us understand why. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute, Cato, C-A-T-O dot org is the website. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up.
We're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, a professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to be talking about the left's psychopathology, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Andrew Joppa. He's a professor at Mercy College. He's also the author of a terrific read. It's Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. And I will mention I just finished grading 63 final term papers, and I'm exhausted. You, I can't. I, I, you know what? That probably takes more different uh, discipline than I could possibly muster or imagine. With my, I mean, some of the some of the papers are just uh, just pure drudgery. So, uh, <laughs> but some are great. Some are great. Let's, let's make the point that uh, that that is a difficult thing for faculty to go through. I'm not asking for any sympathy, but that's that's a, a reality. But we could certainly understand if you're not in a very pleasant mood right now. <laughs> that's the point i was making so andy i'm just thinking right now i mean with all the things that are going on and we listened to uh fauci for a little while and and read about his testimony yesterday and it seems like the left is just kind of lining up trying to again be obstreperous and difficult with the president's agenda trying to prolong the the uh, economic turndown and shutdown uh looks like uh, they're doing everything in their power to make it difficult for all of us well, and they seem to be succeeding in that, and I think Fauci is, is certainly contributing to that. Uh, whether he is doing it with intent or just unintentionally, it can be debated, but certainly he is contributing to that. Uh, Fauci yesterday said that he is a scientist. Well, he's a doctor also, Bob, and uh, doctors now are deeply involved with holistic medicine. In other words, they're, they're not just looking at the, the disease itself and the, the Im- impact of the disease on patients. They're looking at the total implication for the, uh, for the patient's life. And, and Fauci says he's not uh, concerned with economics. Uh, on the other hand, he has to be totally naive 
to really not understand that uh, even his casual comments have dramatic implication in terms uh, of economic outcomes in this country. Yeah. At this point, to suggest that we really cannot open up until there's a vaccine, which is a, a, a point in the unknown future, Bob, is, is, a, is absolutely absurd. We're looking at a man who, who started out by saying that the, uh, the, this, this disease is not serious. Then he said it was serious. He, says, he said masks are not necessary. Then masks are necessary. Uh, and now, again, he says we can't open up until there's a, uh, a vaccine. Yeah. Uh, the man has been wrong consistently. He's, uh, he used the uh, Nell Ferguson uh, projections of death originally to uh, create a dramatic fear response in America. Yeah. And, and I have to feel that he is with intent uh, continuously provoking this fear response uh, as a basis for, uh, for keeping the economy closed. And I don't want to become conspiratorial, but I would add, and I think it must be added into the the equation, that uh, Fauci historically is a strong, fawning Hillary Clinton supporter. I I know that doesn't make everything he says um, uh, dubious. Uh, On the other hand, I think we're looking at a man where uh, where he is, in fact, contaminating this discussion rather than trying to the health discussion. Yeah. Uh, the Fauci shutdown of hydroxychloroquine, uh, azithromycin, and, and, and zinc. Uh, and there certainly is a wealth of information to document it, it has value. Uh, Fauci has shut that down, or has tried to shut that down completely. Uh, so I find that Fauci is, uh, is not necessarily to be trusted, not to be distrusted either. Uh, but on the other hand, to have this almost single voice that is able to dictate the outcome of the American future, economic future particularly, I, I think is totally unacceptable. And at some point, Bob, and I think it's now, that has to change. Well, and, and I also suggested, you said it's uh, the, the discussion of other uh, unintended consequences of the shutdown is conspicuously absent in the discussion, like people committing suicide, alcoholism, child abuse, marital discord, and you can go on and on and on with what's happening here. So it's not, I mean, yes, okay, yeah, there, there is a risk for uh, illness and, and people who have a compromised immune system getting very ill. I get all that, but what about the other consequences? It, he doesn't seem to demonstrate any concern about that. Not at all, and that is, again, part of holistic medicine. If we look nationwide, 50% of the deaths have, have occurred in, uh, in, in nursing homes. In New York State, it's 80% of the deaths have occurred in nursing homes. Yeah. Uh, and yet, and it would seem obvious that that is where a focus for protection should be. Uh, there is no general problem with uh, <clears throat> younger and uh, non-vulnerable populations, and, and yet all populations have been uh, asked to sequester, to limit their activities, their economic activities particularly, and, and I think that we have reached a, a point, and I'm, I'm, I hate to think we're there now, but I think we are there now where the economy will not recover in a, in a complete manner. I'm not suggesting there will not be any recovery, but I am suggesting that there will be serious long-term deficits as a derivative of how we're reacting at this point. Uh, and unless we can escape from it quickly, I think there is a chance that we'll enter certainly into a recession with the potential, strong potential of a depression following. Up. You know what, uh, Andy, uh, unfortunately, I think every day that goes by that we don't open to the economy, we get closer and closer to the reality you've just described. And quite frankly, and it's a sad thing to see or say, but what I see is the uh, the left dragging its feet, and then Nancy Pelosi comes out with a $3 trillion program to give people money, put on, give them food stamps, pay uh, Ill- illegal aliens, give jobs to them i mean it's just you go through the list of what's what the recommendations bail out uh, uh states that have not done well financially and you can go through the list it's it's abhorrent that seems to be the overall strategy is let's uh let's uh, make promises to people so that their lives will be better based on living off welfare and let's close down the economy well there's no doubt that the uh, the democrats are harvesting as much as they can from this uh, covid 19 circumstance in the uh, coronavirus relief book, excuse me, um, the concept of diversity was mentioned 20 times. The word economy was mentioned twice. And remarkably, the word cannabis was mentioned 68 times. Uh, it includes provisions for new hate, uh, hate crimes guidelines. Uh, it includes provisions for environmental justice grants, whatever they may be. 
so we can see the Democrats, rather than being concerned with the country as a whole, uh, are really trying to uh, put their stamp on this and, and finally get implemented the policies that have been widely rejected under normal circumstances. So what they're doing is using this, what has been described as an emergency circumstance, uh, as a way of fulfilling their uh, their wildest dreams. Yeah. How about national vote by mail? How's that one for... <laughs> Unbelievable. That was in the bill as well. And how about this, too? How about the uh, uh, the thing for the rich folks in San Francisco to get rid of the the, the limitation? I forgot what the term is, but uh, uh, the limitation of $10,000 deduction on your federal income tax on your house, on your uh, taxes, on home pay, uh, taxes. Uh, she wants to get rid of that as a kind of payment for thanks for supporting us, uh, you liberals. I mean, it, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, it's so blatant. It's so obvious. And I think they've uh, really um, come to believe that they can do and say whatever they want, as long as it's in the context of COVID-19 and they, and they perceive whatever they want with it being a coronavirus relief bill. And so what they're trying to do is they think the American people are, uh, are scared into submission, and they may be, Bob, yeah. uh, that they're able to do whatever they want. Uh, once this ends, and it will end at some point in time, it is impossible to believe that the government will withdraw its control models or systems uh, from the American system uh, after this is over. So I think we're looking at uh, a not only a, a medical issue, we're looking at economic issues, constitutional issues, and, and certainly we must include moral issues and moral judgments that, that must be included. And, and again, getting back to Fauci to have his rather simplistic statements of, of, of how to prevent every single death, and we must wait for a vaccine before this country can restore itself uh, to the necessary structure that enables people to lead reasonable lives is outrageous. It certainly is. So I want to talk to you about other things that are going on, like, for example, with uh, Lieutenant General Flynn and, and other things that are happening right now. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to do a little shout out for St. Matthew's House. They're doing such a great job to support the homeless and those who are needy right now, especially during this pandemic. And now they've just opened their business last week. Uh, there are six businesses, so I hope you'll 
patronize their businesses and also visit the website, make a donation, stmatthewshouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell right now we have with us and continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, right now it looks to me like the left has an agenda that's... uh, Deep state is, uh, they're pretty much intent on uh, trying to discredit the president and trying to win elections by subterfuge. What are your thoughts? Well, I think both of those statements are true, and I think ultimately Trump is just a barrier. I, I think that uh, Trump has become the focus of their, their actions, uh, not because of anything that Trump has ever done in a negative way, but only because he has been that barrier. Uh, and again, the the uh, potential for the manipulation of the election, particularly if it's a vote by mail, is 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 obvious. And I um, I do not believe, uh, and I, this is a statement that I can't I can't validate in any way. If there is a entirely a national vote by mail for the presidential election in 2020, I do not believe that Trump can win that model. Right. So that uh, I have no way of proving that. It's just a. Uh, a suspicion based on the history of the Democrats as they as it pertains to elections. Uh, I would like to allude to this this recent situation where two thousand former members of the Justice Department, uh, former Justice Department employees, called for the resignation of of, of Attorney General Barr. Um, I bring this up in, in in reference to those people who think that the the deep state is only a very superficial layer in the, yeah. in the federal bureaucracy. Uh, when you can have 2,000 former Justice Department employees sign a petition calling for the resignation of Barr, I think that highlights the absolute depth of, of the deep state. Yeah. Uh, those 2,000 employees who signed that petition had to totally ignore the wealth of countervailing information that has come forward in terms of exactly what produced uh, the conviction of, of, of General Flynn. So they, they had to ignore that. They had to be political, uh, and 2,000 of them signing on uh, indicates to me a, a depth to the deep state that is far more so than, than most people would be willing to acknowledge. You know what, Andy, and I totally agree. Uh, what I'm uh, reassured by is the fact that I believe that this is not Barr's first rodeo. He's been down this trail before. It just reminds me of the comedy made when uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi said he should be arrested for uh, uh, treason or something. like. I forget exactly what the claim was. But uh, <clears throat> he said at the next meeting with her, he said, did you bring your handcuffs and smiled? <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think he understands the uh, environment that he's in and, and uh, his resolve in order to get the job done. Uh, quite frankly, I think uh, uh, Attorney General Barr and uh, what's going on with this investigation, it's just a, a breath of fresh air. Well, I think that uh, Barr's doing a great job, and as you're, as you're indicating, he's, he's going to be able to hang in there. That's the nature of this man. Uh, I think Durham, uh, we'll have to see what happens, but I think Durham will contribute to this. And then uh, certainly the actions of um, uh, um, the uh, Director of National Intelligence, Interim Director of National Intelligence, Grinnell, Grinnell. uh, is investigating the Obama administration in terms of uh, the unmasking situation, uh, all of this leading to what's been called Spygate or Obamagate. Uh, and I think we're looking at a situation where there is finally going to be a deep focus on the Obama administration, which, if it is thorough, must, in fact, lead to Obama himself. Right. Pretty amazing that this uh, judge, his name is uh, Emmett Sullivan, now has decided that he's not going to uh, uh, dismiss the case, that he's going to ask for uh, friend-of-the-court briefings, amicus briefings, of, uh, to support, uh, to, to have a, make a decision about this. Now, he's made this decision before with the Stevens case up in Alaska, but he made the decision after Stevens was defeated. Right now, of course, I, I think uh, Judge Emmett Sullivan has been influenced by the remarks of uh, President Barack Obama, former President Barack Obama, the week before to his former employees or whatever group that was, basically saying that the, that uh, he just can't imagine somebody released for an act of treason. When, of course, there's no treason involved in it whatsoever. That wasn't the charge. Not, not even in the slightest. And for Obama, as a former president, to come out and, and offer comments <clears throat> of this type, including the, the attack on President Trump for how he's handled the the coronavirus is unprecedented in the history of America that a former president would attack a sitting president in the way Obama has uh, has acted. Um, this is, uh, to me, uh, was to be expected from Obama. 
Uh, I think from the uh, starting point of his administration in 2009, I think it has been Obama that has given a depth and a fanaticism to the deep state. As a matter of fact, my um, my latest blog, which is uh, titled Obama is General of the Deep State, deals exactly with that, Bob. It suggests that uh, up until the point of the Obama administration, the Democrats were, were aggressive and loud and vulgar, certainly as they attacked George W. Bush. But on the other hand, they had no real focus. It wasn't until the Obama administration came in in 2009 that this became a deeply organized, con- coordinated, and conspiratorial process. Yeah. That process still lingers with uh, people still in in position uh, and people that have gone out of office but are still affecting the, the circumstance. Uh, Obama is, I think, the... Uh, the swizzle stick for the entire deep state process, and he is a contaminant in this system uh, that America can little afford at this point in our history. Yeah, but don't you think uh, his comments uh, last week, I think it was Friday, uh, he's, uh, it appears he, I think he's kind of somewhat of in a panic as he sees this uh, Durham investigation closing in on him and his uh, cohorts. So but there are going to be more documents that drop. We're going to find out more about this. And also, I think he's, if nothing else, his speech was a, a dog whistle to Emmett uh, Sullivan to um, to take the stand that he's taking with regard to the Flynn case. I mean, the uh, Lieutenant General Flynn has gone through hell for the last three years, and he has been guilty of nothing, and now he wants to continue this process. I mean, where's the justice? It's just insane. Well, we, we have to escape from this from this type of activity, and it's hard to even lay out a process by which that this can happen. But certainly, I think if there is a focus on the Obama administration, how it has acted to... Uh, to spy and corrupt the uh, the Trump candidacy and the Trump presidency. Um, and by the way, I would add that I think this is one of the reasons there's been so little legal action brought uh, in, in so many situations where there was obviously uh, leftist illegal activity is because uh, the people looking at this recognize that the path leads to Obama. Uh, and I think they've been terrified of actually having to go there to to accuse a former president, especially Barack Obama, of crimes. And I think there's, in my mind, Bob, there's no doubt that this man has been deeply involved with the commission of crimes, uh, seditious conspiracy being the one that I can most immediately name. Well, I'll tell you, Andy, one of the things I love about having you on the show is you call him like you see him, and I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. I'm going to be posting your latest blog on my website when I get a chance, maybe later today, but nevertheless, you can go to uh, correct me if I'm wrong on the website. Find Andy's column. Absolutely terrific. Appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you, Andy. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of several books. Uh, his latest is about, uh, it's called Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. 
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Lulu B's Diner. I hope you drop by. They've opened up now and uh, serving great food for breakfast and for lunch right there in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Lulu B's Grilled Art Diner. Just a great place to enjoy a great breakfast and great service. Uh, we have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, and as I mentioned before the break, uh, also the author of seven books, his latest, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. Well, I love your column. It's on point uh, on Newsmax.com. And your latest, I think, is so important. It's five ways the election will determine the new normal. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, you know, I think we all know that uh, we got hit with a doozy with this virus. And uh, everything was seemed like it was going so well. You know, the economy and international affairs and... We weren't seeing a lot of uh, missiles being launched out of North Korea, and and uh, just you know, so many different ways. Unemployment was down, and stock market was up, and all of a sudden, whammo, we got hit with this virus, and uh, and um, now we got, of course, an election coming up, and uh, we you know have good reason to wonder what our you know what. What is the new normal or the new abnormal? And uh, and when you so all all I did was really take five major points. If you know if uh, if uh, there is a President Biden, yeah, what does this mean? And basically, just taking from you know from the Democrat platform and from things he's actually said. I'm not speculating on. What would happen? I'm simply quoting what he said would happen. Right, and and uh, it's quite a contrast to uh, to what the life we lived a couple months ago. Absolutely, I mean, the uh, w- and we can see what's happening right now. The Democrats are trying to say we're going to uh, cut back on the jobs, delay people getting back to work. Those jobs will perhaps go away. You'll end up with uh, welfare checks. And uh, we'll end up with a lot more immigrants. Uh, well, so let's talk about the five points. Let's start off with tax and economic policies. Well, to go through the points very quickly, uh, you know, the, the, the tax uh, relief that's been provided and um, the Tax Cuts and Job Act that was, that was enacted by the Trump administration, he said that goes away. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that that uh, you know, I look at the you know the projections by the Americans for tax reform and other organizations, and it means you know by many estimates a couple thousand dollar increase in taxes on a median income family of four and uh, about thirteen hundred for a single you know for a single parent with one child and so on so. Forget about the taxes, and of course, the taxes affect not just the individuals, but it affects the you know the, the economy. And uh, as far as energy, you know, it's going to uh, uh, no no fracking, no drilling on no new drilling and fracking on federal lands. And, and here we just we've had energy independence mm-hmm. for the first time, and perhaps ever, and. Uh, he would go back to the Paris uh, Climate Agreement and uh, 
emission, you know, raising emission standards in cars. And so, you know, the energy uh, circumstances would be absolutely decimated. Uh, water control, no more funding for the wall. Uh, uh, he said during his first 100 days, uh, he had stopped deportations of illegal border crossers and and uh, therefore after, after that, except for those convicted of a felony, whether in the country, uh, they wouldn't be turned over to ICE. And, uh, and he said that, you know, the, the health, any health risks at, with regard to uh, open borders, uh, he says, uh, a wall won't stop the coronavirus. That's a, that's a quote. Yeah. Banning Europe, he said, won't. So, and then the Constitution rights, you get the Second Amendment. He said, um, you know, that he proposed a buyback program for so-called assault weapons, which, you know, of course, had never been defined. Assault weapons, anything that looks, you know, looks unfriendly. And he said that uh, they'll be made illegal. He said the fact of the matter, they should be made illegal, period. Yeah. Quote. Yeah. And on and on, you know, foreign policy. Uh, can you imagine can you imagine Biden No, I uh, President Biden negotiating with Putin or King Jong-un? No, I can't. I mean, then there's nothing more that the Communist Party, Chinese Communist Party, would like than to see President Biden as opposed to President Trump. President Trump's uh, imposed uh a real requirements for negotiations and tariffs if, if in fact, uh, they don't come to some sort of agreement on free trade and now and keeping Huawei out of the uh, out of the communist spying uh, efforts. I mean, it, so many things would go south on us and we'd turn into a socialist state so quickly compared to what we have and what we're trying to preserve right now. Well, I don't think many people believe, I certainly don't, that and he has the mental capacity. I think uh, he's his, his mind has seen better days. Yeah. I don't think he was ever the brightest bulb in the tree, but he's you know he's never met some material. But he's but he's uh, he's obviously can't you know can't string words together in a sentence. And so I don't think he'd be the guy calling shots anyway. I think right. It would be it would be those behind the curtain that would be doing it. Um. And he can't even read a teleprompter. Yeah, you know, so that's so true. he wouldn't be the one negotiating. And then I think we just basically forfeit, uh, you know, any kind of uh, strategic coherence if if that were to happen. And so uh, this uh, this is a critical time in our history right now. I'm hopeful that the American people will wake up. And it appears they have one one of the. Uh, Canary in the coal mine has been this uh, this election in California. This uh, candidate uh, Garcia, a former Navy combat pilot, had won uh, or is winning. I don't know; it has been declared at this point, but a pretty substantial win uh, in uh, California, and uh, that that's a big deal. So, hopefully, people are beginning to wake up and see what's happening right now, Professor. Uh, one one thing I do want to underscore is of uh, you've also written books, uh, not only, and I'm going to just highly recommend your book on cyber warfare, cyber warfare targeting America, our infrastructure, and our future. Want to recommend also uh, "Scared Witless: The Profits and Profits of Climate Doom" by Professor Larry Bell. It is a great read if you want to understand the religion and the science and everything behind climate change. These po- these folks are, I mean, and if, correct me if I'm wrong, Professor. Well, they've conflated. Uh, the need for clean air and clean water, we all want that, with uh, carbon dioxide, which is plant food. It's a, for photosynthesis. It makes the earth more flush and green, and uh, it's, a false, it's, a, it's a false windmill. We should absolutely focus on energy independence and keep our air and water clean. Just uh, I've well, rambled. The, yeah, the, the travesty is they talk about science, and basically they... They've, they've so corrupted science in this, and the media goes along with it, and there's kind of this kind of swarm fear mentality that creeps into it, and it's and there's no science behind it. You know, they talk about science deniers. Well, there's there's a science vacuum in 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 all of these things, and yeah. uh, and the media the media goes along with it, and we've seen that basically every every level and every area now. Yeah. So five things that, of course, will uh, uh, f- 
determine the new normal by Professor Larry Bell, his on-point column in Newsmax. Professor, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. I was, you have no idea. We... The accomplishments of that man is are just astounding in what he's done for the space program as well as so many other things. He's a very intellectually curious guy, and that's why he writes stuff outside. He, he did this investigation on climate change and came up when writing this book. I highly, highly recommend it. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I always appreciate your commentary uh, uh, and feedback on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I'm uh, producing a daily news newsletter after my show, telling you what's going on with, with the show. And if you'd like to receive it, uh, let me know at bobharden at hotmail.com. I attempt to make the show entertaining and informative. That's my goal. And if for any reason you think I, I'm not achieving that for you, please uh, send me some feedback and let me know what I can do better. I would always appreciate that. I hope you make it a great day. And uh, on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are, namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>